0: I'm Kate Daniels. David McGee is the best-selling author of Things Have Changed, What Every Parent and Educator Should Know About the Student Mental Health and Substance Misuse Crisis. And this title captures the essence of this important book, written from personal experience, some harsh life lessons that David learned to recreate his life and in doing so, wants to impart the lessons so we can make the changes we need so let's meet David. David McGee, good morning. Thank you so greatly for being with us today. Thank you. I am just uh, in awe uh, of what you have written. Uh, I'm in awe of the this mission that you are on. And, uh, and also just to, you know, thank you seems so small, so limited, because what you are doing with this latest book's uh, book of uh, Things Have Changed What Every Parent and Educator Should Know About the Student Mental Health and Substance Misuse Crisis is just in such a desperate need by all of us. And yet, though we know there's such a crisis, it seems that we're floundering, nothing's being done. But when I saw that you have written this book and you wrote before and you're speaking with students, families and schools, this is just so invaluable. And I, I hope this becomes a, a virus that, that spreads. <laughs>
1: we need it to. I, I think that... Frankly, a lot of people are through this country. Things have changed so fast in recent years that um, schools and parents and families and communities—they're overwhelmed. And having come through it, and me and my family, we've suffered great loss, but we've also gotten back up on our feet in spite of that loss and found great joy. And we realize, you know, how achievable uh the recovery is and how we can turn this problem back but but I'll tell you uh, I think people are overwhelmed for a good reason because most aren't really sure what to do and we're going to have to I think start looking in communities about having to how to break the silos and really begin to think about education for our young people uh, It's not just algebra that we need to teach in middle school we have to teach them about themselves so they're less tempted To self-medicate
0: oh so absolutely true we've needed this for a long time but now that we're at this crisis it's it's really literally that do-or-die situation and and sadly uh, tragically death is so much a part of that and I'm going to just take a moment here to first say to you David I I am so deeply sorry that you lost your son uh, to a drug overdose
1: Thank you. And sadly, you know, that's certainly a club I never thought I would be in, and I never thought so many friends and others that I know that they would be in. And, um, I mean, we we are losing people, young people, so fast in this country to this cause. Sadly, it's not even shocking so much anymore because it's become such a thing. Sometimes I'll go through a period once a week where – I'm getting a call from a friend or someone I know who's lost a child in their teens, twenties, or early thirties, and it's really stunning. And but what I tell everybody is, don't feel sorry for us because we miss our William. Um, but you know, I have another son who nearly died from a drug overdose. He's now 11 years sober. I had a daughter who battled eating disorder. She's now years successful into recovery. And um, I had my own uh, turnaround story in recovery with alcohol and um, Adderall misuse. And so we suffered great loss, but we've also found victory, you know, against this disease and the resulting joy from that.
0: And you have felt it so passionately within you to share this, and I have to ask you, was it difficult to make the the decision to become so open and honest about all that uh, went on in your life?
1: Yes, um, and I took a little time to do it. Um, you know, it's never easy to tell. My story, my family's story, William's story, the son we lost. I mean, he was, you know, a straight A student in the Honors College, um, fluent in Spanish, ran track at the University of Mississippi, the 400 hurdles, lettered, made it all the way to the SEC track and field championships, had this beautiful girlfriend we thought he would marry. And every time I stand up and start telling all of that, and about what a sweet human he was. I, I, I almost can't believe that he succumbed to this disease and relapsed and overdosed. Um, but for me, as far as being hard, it's never easy. Um, but I felt called to do it since our family was so dramatically impacted. Storytelling in, in human healing and breaking stigma has been around for a long time. And I think that research-wise and anecdotally, we know it's one of the most powerful and effective things. And so it's hard. Doing it over time makes it easier, but it's never easy. But I I just felt like I had an obligation. And I remember when my book, my memoir, Dear William, came out in November, 2021, as I was finishing writing that book, it's very revealing. And my wife, I mean, we'd gotten divorced and remarried. You know, I was mired in infidelity, as so often happens in addiction. And I remember my wife um, telling me, even though it revealed a lot of our scars, go deep, reach deep. If you're going to do this, if you're going to do this, you need to reach deep and tell the truth. And I think that's really the only way we can make a difference. And so it's not easy, but also I don't think it will be impacting if I'm not
0: honest. Exactly. And and that was my sense in asking you that, because when we are brutally honest, it is what it is, I think then others see, okay, it's not easy it wasn't just, oh, I'll just do this. It wasn't casual. You had to dig and it took time, as you said. So that mm-hmm. gives us some perspective of, okay, it's it's not going to be an easy path now that I know I need to do this. But for you, then you're sharing the joy, the rewards are such that you see such change taking place for with those who, who heed the story.
1: I think that uh, the greatest gift to me—I miss my son William, our son William, so much. But I'll have people say to me, "Well, I know a lot of this work you do, and a lot of success you've had with getting other young people and other adults sober, and or or getting to counseling for mental health, other mental health issues, and turn their life around." I know it doesn't make it all better, and I always say, "Oh." You'd be surprised how close it comes, because you can't replace my William. But that's the thing; I can't replace him. But we learn resilience on this earth is pays great dividends, and there is incredible joy in watching other people find their joy. And I'm, we've we've never been so happy. But you know, it can be both things. You can have a life of grief. From losing a child but it doesn't have to be paralyzing and that's a message I try to tell parents a lot today I'm so thankful that I get around the country schools and parents organizations invite me to come in and speak and talk about how things have changed to talk to parents about how they can better communicate with their students to talk to students about how they can better manage their lives in this kind of mental health epidemic they're facing and you know In that journey, I I just always remind them that joy is at their fingertips, but parents are wired to almost be in denial about what their children face. Parents want to solve the problems for their children. Parents want so much good for their children that, frankly, they often try to minimize what their children face. And so what I try to help parents understand is this is actually pretty normal these days. Anxiety, depression, which often is self-medicated. Um, the risk and stakes, as you said early, earlier in our conversation, it's now the risk is death, and it's happening all across this country. And even if they don't die, the risk is they lose their joy, and that often can feel like the same thing. So what I tell parents and students is, joy is at your fingertips but it it takes the first step of realization of i'm not in a good place and i can't fix it overnight but i can take the first step to begin that journey
0: and as you have this mission you're bringing the message of happy having this open honest conversation which will take time uh, when it hasn't existed yeah. it takes time doesn't it david
1: it is. It's like um, what I tell you know, parents or loved ones, it could be a spouse. You could be thinking your spouse is struggling. <clears throat> what I can tell you is if you have a friend, a spouse, a child, a loved one who is – you think something's going on, it's usually worse than you think because it's it's usually worse than the person that's got it going on thinks because – denial is kind of often our greatest, uh, defense. And you, you just have to, to realize that, you know, taking that first step, it's a journey and a process and it doesn't happen overnight, but it, it can and will actually get better overnight because when you're at rock bottom, it doesn't take far up to come. And, uh, the, the, The results of that, once people get a taste of it, it can become addictive in its own way. But it takes time, it takes patience. And we don't have a lot of that in this 21st century, fast moving world. It takes time and it takes patience. Resilience is a cultivation. It's like showing up in the gym for the first day, you think, or going, starting running. I'm going to start this. It hurts a little bit at first, and you're not that good at it. After a year, you've developed your muscles, you developed your um, pace. Well, this is much the same way.
0: And that conversation it, it is, is the beginning. Listening, I, I think about how you say with your daughter, she knew when she had gone to college, she needed to change, she needed to leave that place. And And there was hesitation, like, is that good for your future? However... It, 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 share with, that, it, with us, uh, David, how that was for you to, to have her change schools and what it did for her healing. Right.
1: Well, so my daughter, That I'm so glad you brought that up because she really taught us so much because my boys had been struggling with substance misuse in college, and I had been struggling with that as well. And here's our daughter who's like, I will not do substances, but she develops an eating disorder. And I remember her finally getting my wife and I. You know, what, what she she would say like, "I need to change schools." And my wife, we've talked about this many times since. Here's what a parent does in reaction: No, you need to see through what you've started, <laughs> and that's well intentioned because you don't want to let some your child make hasty decisions. But she was speaking something that she really felt. She was not in the place where she belonged. And so we're just trying to talk her out of this all along the way. Finally, she gets in front of us, and she's not that intense of a personality. And she's like, I need you to see me, and I need you to hear me. What I'm facing is every bit as much as what the boys faced and what you faced, maybe worse in some ways because this is my problem. I need help. And I need change. And she spoke with such a clarity that I felt it right down in my soul. And I looked at her, and I was just in tears. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. We didn't see her, and we did not hear her because we were so busy trying to keep a picture of what we thought was right, her finishing her commitment to what she'd started. Why are we so obsessed with keeping this picture? Who – we get one shot in this earth. Her instinct was telling her what she needed to do. She needed more counseling. She needed a change of scenery. And we're just constantly trying to talk her out of it. That was such an eye opener for us. It changed my relationship with my daughter, our relationship. I saw her really, truly and heard her for the first time. And now she is able to have children and she did. And she's a mother of three and She's years successful in eating disorder. It doesn't mean recovery. It doesn't mean that every day's a good day. Mm-hmm. But I'll talk to her, and if she's struggling a little bit, instead of trying to talk her out of it, hey, how are you doing? What, what can I do for you? And that's what she tells me. It, it's changed our relationship. It's changed her results.
0: That is so powerful. And that's where, again, stories come in. You're sharing how this process went in just in a nutshell, but we get the sense of it. We get more details, certainly, by, by reading this latest book, Things Have Changed, What Every Parent and Educator Should Know About Student Mental Health and Substance Misuse Crisis, because the eating disorder is a mental health issue and and we have just such a gamut of those going on in our world what are the statistics David like nearly basically about half of all students
1: oh listen uh, the statistics I mean sometimes I wonder where they're getting them because I have been blessed and essentially what this book things have changed is it just came out it's it's based it's a guidebook based upon the talk that I give in schools to students and to parents. And I thought, you know, like they used to get what to expect when you're expecting when we had our first child. Well, now their children are in middle school and high school and even college. And parents are telling me, help, I don't know what to do. And so that's how that came about. And look, the the they are rising so fast and like the percentages. I'm in schools and I know the percentages. They'll, they'll, they'll be like 25% of students are using alcohol and marijuana or something by the time they're graduating as a senior. Another 10%, 15% uh, an array of other mental health disorders, uh, eating disorders, anxiety, depression. You add them all up, you get a big number. Well, let me tell you, I, I, sometimes when I'm in schools, I'm feeling like 75% of the student body is dealing with something at some level because we can have a lot of minor mental health issues though that can and i've certainly battled some of those as well as most of us humans or many of us humans but those can in in times of heightened pressure like school excel in this go to practice did you do your homework and here's what i'm seeing Teens are sleep-deprived across this country, and the top symptoms of sleep deprivation are anxiety, depression, and often closely mimics the symptoms of ADHD. So there's a staggering number of teens today because of smartphones, because of the pressures they're under. We push them and push them and push them, and they push themselves, and they're not getting sleep. They're like two hours off a night from what we used to be back when I was a child, and and so when you add all of that up, the sleep deprivation plus the other natural things they face, the percentage of students that I see that have at least something going on, I mean, it feels like 75% of them in school's counselors are telling me the same thing. They're shocked. They they say whatever happened in COVID just hit it to a different gear. And when I get in there, they'll call me off to the side and say, we are overwhelmed. There is something happening. There is something that has happened. And a lot of it comes to technology, social media apps, smartphones. I mean, I talked to a college student girl the other day who said, I can't sleep at night. And I started asking her questions, trying to figure out why. Turns out she gets on TikTok and starts getting in a rabbit hole of watching videos until 3 a.m. And then she's got a you know, 9 a.m. class, she's like, I don't know how to stop that. Now, that seems simple. Put your phone up, but she's addicted, so it's not that simple. Yes,
0: and so social media and these smartphones are, you know, you question the the name smartphone when it comes to this sort of thing. I don't Uh,
1: know what smart's happening there, but yes.
0: Yes, and, and, if that weren't enough, what is going on with the content there, but you also mentioned how the, the phones are being used to, to manage or deal drugs and, and yes. uh, transfer money that way.
1: That the, the smartphone and its associated apps is now the number one way that teens and college students are buying illegal drugs. And a lot of the counterfeit pills, all of which have, have fentanyl in them, a lot of those deals go down through smartphones and associated apps and look this is the world we live in they're not going away i'm on one all day long i use social media but we what we have to understand is this generation of teens and college students today the iphone didn't even come out until 2007 instagram and whatsapp and all these things they were like 2010 2013 Look, this generation is the first generation in this country and in this world to come along where this technology is as tethered to them as the air they breathe. And they are bombarded. They are bombarded by friends. They're overwhelmed by it. A college student showed me the other day how they'll sit on Snapchat and they can see where every one of their friends in college is at any moment. Uh, Look, there's 15 of my friends. They're all at this same bar. Well, I'm not there. I wonder if they're talking about me. I was trying to do homework. I feel a little anxious. Should I just go join them at the bar? Um, it's very complicated. You know, you can look at some things on social media and the algorithm will pick up and then maybe that site it'll help reveal that you were there because it'll make a reference for you to that person and then soon They'll be trying to sell that person some pills because some student was looking at something, not really wanting pills, but then they'll get a DM. Hey, I've got stuff for you. That's kind of how it works. The, The students just tell me they don't stand a chance. I mean, it's just they're bombarded by
0: it. Oh, so becoming aware of this bombardment can we have that kind of communication with our kids, with our young adults, to support them? How do we do this to yes. move forward?
1: What a great question. I think this is a, a if anybody listening, if you hear anything, hear this. That is such a great question. We have to begin a conversation with our children, teens, college students, before teens. We need to talk to them in open-ended questions. I I would say really the same thing goes for families and even communities. Spouses, we need to communicate. The research is clear. You can find answers. You have better communication when you talk in open-ended questions. We have developed a culture where we tell teens constantly how they should feel, what they should do what they should not do. It did not work. It doesn't work. There's no research that says it works. It's our fear that makes us try to micromanage them that way. We want them to be how we think they should be because we know what's best for them. But what I learned the hard way, and I mean the hard way, and why I'm able to have success with other young people today is that I stopped telling them. When I go speak in schools, I don't say don't do drugs. I had a young man in high school come up one day. He said, you never once said don't do drugs. I'm like, because that's going to ultimately be your choice. You know, I, don't, I, I can't have any control over that. But what I can talk to you about is how to find and keep the joy that you want and deserve. And how we can help them find that is by asking them open-ended questions. We... It's, it's used in lean manufacturing. It's like the five whys. That's how you get down to the root cause. Often when I deploy this tactic with teams, they will end up in an answer that they didn't even know about themselves. It's about getting to the root cause. You won't get the answer all at once. It can take time. But the more you ask them, how are you doing? How did it feel when your friends were all out the other night and you you know had to go with us? Pause listen? How does it feel on the first day of school? And then maybe some more open-ended questions around that. It can help you understand, do they need counseling, what they're facing, um, what they might need.
0: And be willing then, you know, I'm thinking of a situation with a young, uh, well, older teen, they they sometimes are slow to respond, so you just have to let yes. things kind of sit there rather than fill that silence, right?
1: Don't try to fill the silence, because if you let that silence linger and continue to linger, eventually they will step into it. You have to give them room to move. You have to give them some safe space to step into most parents that call me when they're reaching out looking for tips and they're in the same fit of anxiety where I was when my William was using substances early in high school, I know actually they don't stand much of a chance of solving the problem, just as I did then, because they tend to want to talk their student out of it and they tend to want to punish them out of it. It just doesn't work. Help them be part of the solution and try to get ahead of it. Just like let's take sleep, for example. Studies are clear that the majority of teens and college students today are sleep-deprived, as I said, and there are associated mental health repercussions that come with that. You can't just order them to go to bed, but you can involve them in this, start asking them questions to help them reveal that they're not getting enough sleep and then help involve them in the solution of what might alleviate that problem. What do they need? What can I do for you? When they're a part of the solution, they have a much better chance of adopting it. Right.
0: And this is such invaluable information. To say we're in a crisis is almost understating where we are. The need is so great, and it, it takes all of us. It takes parents. It takes Friends, community, the teachers—the it takes us all—and that's where I feel that with this book, things have changed because it is a different world, and in, in just this concentrated, less than a decade, it really, just last few years, uh, here are great points about mental health, the anxiety and depression, and, and the, the drug situation, but you provide a toolbox. And this is really, like you had said, David, a guide. So people can get this book, of course. It's, uh, it's readily available now at all of our favorite book sources, correct?
1: Absolutely. And look, I tell parents, I promise you this, I can't say this about a lot of things I've written. This book I mean, you will be a better parent and your children will be better off if you read it because it's research-based and it's anecdotal-based from a lot of us who have been there and a lot of the students and parents that I have talked to. It's about what works and it's about how to help them find and keep the joy they want, which therefore, rising tide lifts all boats, therefore the overall family becomes healthier and happier and stronger.
0: And yours is such a case it, tragedy existed but by facing it and doing the grieving because I think the grieving is there you've created then a scar you don't have a wound any longer that's lingering right, right? you're you're, you're, you're yeah. able to have a, a good solid life and you're making a difference in the world
1: I miss my son, William, every day, but I also am a relative neighbor to my son, Hudson, who's 11 years sober, and I still talk to my William. You know, when Mm -hmm. our dearly departed souls leave us, I think if we're willing, they're there to continue the conversation with them. We can't touch them, but we can still talk with them, and we can still find peace and comfort and even learn from them, and I still learn from my William, and he helps me on this journey, and I know that may sound corny, but it's just true. He's gone, and I can't touch him, but he still touches my life, and he still helps me touch others, you know?
0: I'm so glad you said that, because yes, I, I so agree with that, and I hope others will find some solace in that and move toward more healing in their each of their lives. Well, David, we could really talk for so much longer, but, you know, the clock dictates here. Let's mention your website, though, so people can uh, get more information about you.
1: You can find me at David D. McGee. That's M A G E E. David D. dot com, and you can find more information about me, my mission, and uh, speaking in schools. I get to communities all over the country, and we're making a difference, and we're building a movement. And it's just all about students and families. That's the well-being of students and families. That's all we're about.
0: And I love that. Thank you. Thank you so greatly for having this passion, following your mission in your heart, and for spending time with us today.
1: Thank you. This was fabulous.